Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is proudly brought to you by Amazing Stories Comics and Dragon's Den's Games of Saskatoon. Welcome back to Cardboard Conjecture. I'm your host, Norm. I'm Ryan. And on this episode, we are going to talk about the board games that we played on our summer vacation. Hey, Norm. Yeah? I know what you did last summer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's not talk about it. This episode is proudly brought to you by Amazing Stories in Saskatoon. If you're in the Saskatoon area, come by the store for Friday night games and play and receive 20% off your purchase of any board games in the store. Amazing Stories is winner of the Joe Schuster Award for Best Comic Retailer in Canada and nominated in 2016 for the U.S. Eisner Spirit of Comics Retailer Award presented at Comic-Con. Okay then, well, let's get this episode rolling and I'm going to start off in traditional fashion by saying, sorry, Um, uh, yeah, start the drinking now. Um, So we had a big hiatus, which is turning out to be our uh, our regular thing because uh, as teachers, uh, sometimes you you just want to check out for a while, hey? Yeah, we just take take the summer off, be with the families, go traveling do do our regular family things we play a lot of board games oh did we play a lot? oh that i'm telling you that first week uh we uh, just to let you guys know that basically what was it after the long weekend uh when we we're officially on our holidays you and i arranged that what was like eight nine o'clock in the morning nine, nine o'clock yeah nine o'clock in the morning come on over oh play games until about noon oh oh yeah, play yeah. play games straight till noon We'll, uh, and we'll touch base on that because that's basically providing us the uh, content for this uh, season three. Season three, man. That's awesome. Really? Where's the the time gone? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I know where it's gone. It's gone into cardboard. Okay. um, So, yeah, um, uh, we're going to basically go back and forth and we're going to talk about games that we played this summer. And we... I think we made an effort on keeping it short and sweet and because we, we made, uh, or we both decided that a nice little tight format of like, what was it? 90 seconds to two minutes. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Roughly about that. Well, we should be able to, and then therefore we can kind of hit on a lot, a lot, a lot of the, a lot of the hits. Yeah. Pretty, pretty, pretty much the, what the list that we're going to be giving, we're, we're not going to be talking really, we're not going to be talking about crap that we played this summer. Oh, well, we're, we're, we're going to be talking about the greatest hits. Yeah, well, because there's, I mean, out of, I started making the list and I got to about, man, 40 games, easy, without oh, even I got, having oh, to I, remember. I, I've, got, I've got my BG, my BG stats oh, open right, right now. Uh, July. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So July, I played 26 different games, oh. a total of 40 plays. Nice. And August, I played 21 different games for a total of 30 plays. <laughs> so, so i'm so, not yeah, so, so so i i so i played i played 70 times in two months uh r- what was that roughly 
almost 50 different games. Oh, see, I don't think I can go that off the charts, but I'm, I'm well within 60% of your numbers. Oh yeah. Well, if I, if I take a look here, uh, I gamed at Norm's house uh, <laughs> for that. <laughs> I gamed at Norm's house 20% of the time. Nice. And Norm appeared in 20% of my plays. Well, that's consistent. I like that. Just call me Mr. Consistency. Um, I love BG Stats. If you don't have BG Stats app to track your your, your plays, you, you definitely need to do this. Oh, I have it, but you know what? This I'm, is, not talking to, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking about our listener out there. Yeah, yeah Juan. <laughs> our Juan listener. Our Juan listener. Um, uh, so, well, let's get this thing rolling here. Should, do we need to have a stop clock? Or, I mean, a stopwatch here? I'm, bring, uh, I'm no, bringing it up. We're, 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 we'll be pretty disciplined. <laughs> you, you, I, think, I, think, I think you need the stopwatch for you. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I'm, I'm my own worst enemy with something like this. I, I, I can deliver the quick, the quick hits pretty fast. Uh, I don't want to get into all those bad husband jokes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> I had a little bit of, uh, yeah, no, we'll, we'll just stop right there. Oh, PG-13. <laughs> Come on down to Dragon's Den's Games in Saskatoon. Let Darren Allen and the staff help you out. They carry board games. They have an amazing selection of role-playing game systems from D&D 5th Edition to Kids on Bikes, as well as an excellent selection of your favorite miniature game systems, figures, and accessories. Check out the Facebook page and website for new releases and a list of scheduled events. Yes, of course. Uh, okay, so, um, you know, you know, Ryan, um, I'm going to give you honors with this one. What? Oh, you're going to do it to oh, you me? You want me to start? I'll start it off. I'll be happy. Yeah, I, I, I follow your lead. Okay. Oh, that's, that's dangerous right there, too. Because <laughs> I'm like that, uh, I'm like that, that uh, meme that you sent with, uh, with how do you play strategy games, and I'm the joker, and it's like, do I look like a guy that has a plan? <laughs> um, oh, all right. That's, so that's so period beautifully. Um, and for my list, there's no particular order, no particular. It was just stuff that popped into my head, right? Just like what what the uh, what the brain kind of uh, um, uh, Jackson Pollocked onto my page. And okay. um, so the first one is uh, we're going with Three Kingdoms Redux, which is a game and uh, came out 2014, uh, designed by Christina. Zen Wei and Yo Ken Leong. I really hope I said that properly. And um, starting player is the uh, is the publisher is the main publisher, but I have the Capstone Games version. And uh, uh, I'm starting to I'm right away just notice like oh wow I just picked up Irish Gage. I'm starting to turn into a little Capstone fanboy. And well, speaking well speaking of Capstone, I just got race for the Chinese Zodiac. Oh. oh. Nice, nice. And today at uh, at board game club at school, we played the climbers. So, wow, Clay, we're you know, yay. Um, so uh, <laughs> we're all, this is already falling off the track. Falling off the track. So nuts and bolts. Um, you are you. Uh, <laughs> it's all your fault, man. Um, it's the Han Dynasty. You're three basically, you know, um, leaders of these different factions that want to take control. It is by far, and it's designed strictly for three players. It's 
an auction worker placement is the best way that I can say it. And you're always playing against the guy to your right and to your left, okay? So it's not like there's a big kind of group um, fight. It's never a free-for-all. It's always um, um, that kind of dynamic that it's, it's this, uh, I'm looking at my left guy and this is what we're competing for and I'm looking at my right guy and this is what we're competing for. Um, the middle is all those, the difference between political um, uh, actions and military actions because ultimately you want to take control on five different um, uh, um, areas in regards to military, um, uh, uh, um, generals that you put out into, the, uh, into the, the battles are great because they'll start earning you points, but um, you've taken them out of your ability to use them as worker placement auction things. And, and that is um, the coolest idea because um, it, give, it gives this weird purpose to an auction where you're fighting for the ability to generate more soldiers or the fighting for the ability to get more uh, um, uh, um, during game and end of game card conditions. Um, I, I'm watching my timer and I'm starting to get all anxious. Oh, talk faster. Um, <laughs> As far as its complexity, like, like my opinions about the complexity and the decisions you're doing, the game intimidated me at the first because it was like, you know, everyone talks about it's three players and three players only. That's what it was designed for. It, it takes about a couple hours, maybe three hours to play. Um, but it's the, 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 the choices that you're making in the game aren't complex. The ramifications are complex right? And in regards to, do I decide to do this now or do I do it later? And there also is that whole kind of bend like the reed in the wind thing is, is paying attention to what the other two guys are doing because you don't want them to run away on certain tracks because that affects the end of game scoring. You always want to try to keep, there's kind of a, uh, a scoring race in five different dimensions and you want to make sure that you're, it's a tight race in all of them. You can't just abandon one thing, go, I'm going to, you know, the min max thing, right? I'm going to leave that one and focus on this one. This is a game of delicate balance and it is so uh, engaging. Um, the decisions you make, like I said, are on a razor's edge of it might benefit me now, but it'll hurt me later because of in these three um, factions, and uh, I don't want to butcher the names, so I'm, and, and I'm on a roll. Um, of these three factions, when you start off, you're completely out of sync. One um, faction has a lot of generals to use as worker placement auction pieces. Um, the middle person is average. It's like the three little pigs, right? It's like there's one major uh, a contender in the beginning of the game. There's one sitting in the middle, and there's one right on the bottom who's struggling. But as this game is designed, the deeper you get into the game, the faster that person who is weak in the beginning catches up and gets all this momentum. So there's, as far as playing the different factions, there is so much different approach to how you play this game and, and the strategies and tactics you're going to use to, you know, keep your position of, of like power or augmented kind of thing. Um, the big pluses and minuses of this game, uh, it, it is probably the best three-player game I've ever played. You know how all these games say, oh, it plays from, you know, like two to four. But it's, to me, this one was designed for three players, and man, does this thing 
does this thing deliver on on like the complexity the decisions um there's tension all the time because somebody can get ahead and you might panic and want to you know want to you know knee-jerk reaction decision making the game to try and catch up but you have to be like i said this delicate balance the moment it gets the moment it gets uh you know tippy that's when bad things happen so yeah i just can't wait to play this game more so yeah that was three kingdoms redux and i was never available to play it when you chose to play it oh <laughs> yeah well there's there's now a reason for you to play it how did that okay so that's the first that was the first tight fast kind of like uh, a quick look um how did that sound on your side oh that sounded good makes sense yeah okay wow i finally made sense to one person okay cool yeah <laughs> i got um all right it's your turn man Okay, so uh, I'm going to kick off my list with, uh, with a couple solo games or solo mainly games. I, I did uh, it, every now and then I did have to, I had time just to, you know, just chill and be myself. So the first one I'm going to talk about is The Seventh Continent. Ooh, nice. Which is, uh, which is uh, designed by uh, the, this year. The publisher was Sirius Pulp. It was published in 2017 by Ludovic Rowdy and Bruno Sauter. And the artist was also Ludovic Rowdy. Seventh Continent is a beast. It, I, the, that's the only best way to put it here. It's, a, it's mainly a card-based game where all the cards are going to be splayed out on the table and it's going to create the terrain of, of the Seventh Continent, which you're exploring. The premise of the game is that you're an explorer and you're going back to this continent to lift these curses that are cursing you currently cool and and so you you, you play the game over multiple sessions uh what they say is you 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 select a curse and you're trying to lift that curse now how do you lift the curse is that you got to go back and you got to explore the island and they say to lift a single curse could take you upwards of oh, the one that i played this summer it took me took me about 12 hours of gameplay <laughs> to, uh, to 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 figure this one out, and it's it's meant to be that way. You're meant to only sit down and play for a couple hours at a time. Uh, it's got a really neat saving mechanism where how how you stack up your cards and you save them, and then you can just come back, you pull out the cards, and you lay them back out exactly how you had them beforehand. Um, it's really really neat. The premise of the game is very simple. There's um there's an action deck, and then there's your hand of cards. Your action deck of cards is your life. And so lots of actions that you're going to require. Everything is going to require you to do some time, take some time. And the time is discarding cards off this action deck. And as soon as the action deck runs out, what you do is, well, okay, then the, the, it gets shuffled back up, put back down. And some of these cards inside this action deck are curse cards. After you've went through the deck once, and you have to flip it back over and shuffle them in. The first time that you draw a curse card, you're dead. You're dead. You <laughs> have to start everything all over again. Now I'm gonna toot my own horn here, because I played this. Uh, I played the curse. Uh, I'm not gonna. Uh, I, the name of the curse is escaping me now. It's the second one that I did, and I didn't die the entire time. I nice. did it straight. Because I figured out the system on how to 
there's actions that'll take you to um, replenish the action deck. You can get your energy back by like going hunting, which is really kind of a neat, uh, neat thing. You have to start, you have to solve puzzles. You have to pay attention to details on the cards because those details are going to give you clues of what you have to do. It is, I would probably put it closer as this could have been a video game, but they designed it as a card-based board game, cool. which is really cool. It's all open world exploration. You don't know what you need to do right off the bat. You just kind of have to wander and, fun and fuddle around for a bit. Very cool game. This is a top shelf game of mine. I still got a whole schwack load of curses that I still need to play through. All right. Um, if you have a chance, they're coming out with the Seventh Continent Classic Edition, which I is, I think it's, it's just going to be um, base game. I think maybe one or two curses in the box. None of the Kickstarter extras because mine comes with like little resin um, minis and, and, and stuff like that. And a few, I, have a, I have the whole complete package. I've got all the, the bonus content and promo cards. And, right on. But the Classic Edition, I would definitely paint because you're going to get a lot of time out of that. It's, it says it plays up to four people. I would never want to play this game with four people. <laughs> I may want to play this game with Jen maybe as a two-player game. I think it could work well with a two-player. Solo's where it's at, though. Yeah, it sounds um, like it. You definitely have to check out Seventh Continent if you ever have a chance. Um, I could even lend it to you, Norm, because I, I, at, at some point in time, and you can play through a, a curse or something like that by Fair yourself. It's, it's very, very cool the way it's done. Cool. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the hand off now and uh, make you start to froth because I'm going to lead us into probably what's going to be a tag team of this same designer. Um, I played so happy to get this to the table, CO2 by Vitalis Cerda. Um, yeah, uh, I think I have the, I've got the, the first edition, I believe the one that came out in 2012 and it says it's a uh, geo six and there's uh, like three other, I don't know who the one, oh, uh, stronghold. Yeah, there we go. Stronghold games brought it in and, um, yeah, CO2 Vitalis Cerda. Now this isn't the one, I think the new one, um, uh, one of my favorite, uh, artists, Ian O'Toole, I think he mm. did the artwork for the new one. So I got this one um, used, which I was very happy to. And it's a game about the, the concept is it's, uh, it's, you know, later 1970s, I believe, and the world's facing this crisis of energy and the greenhouse effect. And we have to start as nations or as, uh, as uh, uh, interests, we have to start making better decisions. So um, it's, uh, again, uh, like an area control um, worker placement mostly because you have these scientists that you're putting out on the board that are going to like your typical Vital or Sarah, Oh, just to pick this action, do the action and, you know, and, uh, and uh, do a cleanup phase. Just usually his, all his games are do this, do that. And you're done next turn. But as in Vital Lacerda, <laughs> yeah, on the surface, all these things are very simple actions. I'm going to go over here and I'm going to start to develop a, uh, um, you know, a greenhouse uh, um, uh, power source. Like there's, uh, I believe there's solar, there's, uh, um, oh, it's not even coming to me and I don't want to go off topic here. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the idea is there's multiple 
a green energy source uh, um, options out there. And as your scientists, there's phases of you need to propose a, a certain plan for a, a green energy plant. Then the next phase is development. And then the last phase is to actually put it online. And as you're doing so, you're trying to replace all the old uh, um, fossil fuel plants that are cheaper, right? But this, the effects of the planet are pumping up the, 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 the gas. There, I think there's an index that keeps rising and you wanna, if this index of CO2 emissions um, goes over trigger points, bad things happen. And of course the ultimate trigger point is, oh, you burnt the planet out, you all die. So mm -hmm. it's not a cooperative game. It's, it's kind of, they say semi-co-op. And I don't even buy that either because, I mean, two, if you're playing three-player, two people can be focused on making good energy decisions and the third person could be, as in happens in reality, right? A, you know, an interest kind of says, well, that's great. You guys do good work as I'm going to take the easy way out and just start knocking out, you know, the, uh, the high profit and, and low environmentally friendly choices. Um, as in Vital, there are so many different kind of, uh, um, you know, side routes of choices that you can take. Um, somebody can start an idea or a plan uh, of, uh, of a, energy, a green energy plant. And I mean, you can, you can start it and propose it and put that in motion. And then someone else can send a scientist and take over the project, right? Uh, so if nothing's really guaranteed, you have some cool end of scoring conditions in regards to, uh, um, you know, like the typical Vital, like a certain combo here with a certain combo there will give you extra points. So everybody's got their, their, their hidden information as to, uh, and, and again, if you're playing a Lacerda game properly, the, the scores are going to be tight. Like the margin of error is going to be, is going to be, you know, between two and five points. Right. Um, as I've discovered with the with the games that we've played over the summer of his. And so it's like, again, I keep saying the 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 mechanism choices aren't complex. It's a, I'll put my scientists here and I'll do this action. But the depth of those choices becomes complex in regards to this, you know, this web of 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 choices where you can turn left, turn right, someone blocks it because they take away that choice and you have to re, you know, you have to pivot right away and make a different decision with those workers because inefficiency in this game is, is the, uh, is the trap door that's going to make you lose. You'll just fall away. Big pluses and minuses. Um, uh, it's, it's like when we are talking before about bands and all these, you just, find a, a style or a band or an artist that you connect with and you and you love the stuff they pump out and I I'm I think I'm starting to become like that with with Lacerda because um, all of his designs are so intelligently derived right I mean they just to me at least they make common sense in regards to you know what are my choices and how can I accomplish these choices and then reverse engineer this the steps that I need to accomplish this right um this is definitely like if you know in our in our um review status this is sitting on the top shelf pushing something off because um uh I am I am I, you know I am definitely um 
getting this one to the table as much as possible because it is so and again this is one that you missed out on so i'm sorry but you have to play this one this is so engaging so that was co2 by vital lacerda yeah well you you own the two lacerda games that i have not played you so own zo2 and you in your own kanban yeah so we have this and i have not played those ones and i'm i'm still i'm still uncertain as to which one i like the most i have to play kanban some more and kind of get this teeter-totter going but then you're gonna cut you're gonna throw into the mix another few that oh man i might i might have to get them for my own collection yeah that's a good well, well i'll abandon the solo stuff for right now and i'll i'll hop aboard the vital lacerda train um one that i know that we got to play um multiple times actually uh with with, with a couple different with a couple different groups here um, we played The Gallerist. Oh, yeah, I love that again, game. Again, art by Ian O'Toole. They have a great team up there. Um, this is published by Eagle Griffin Games. It's one of the big box Eagle Griffin game um, editions. This was the Kickstarter edition that I got in The Gallerist. How, how, how do I keep this one under two minutes? <laughs> of what's going on that's, that's it's a, it's a simple at, 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 at its heart it's a it's a worker placement type of mechanism where you're just going to take your pawn you're going to move it to a location and each location has two options it's simple that, that, it's it's simple each two options but each of those <laughs> options one of those options could have like six steps on how to evaluate what exactly to do gallerist what you're trying to do is you're trying to get artwork into your gallery so there's an action spot to buy the art and to buy the art first you first you gotta discover the artist and so there's a there's a whole process on how you discover artists or you can you consign an artist's signature so that you can get his um artwork cheaper later on well the economy um, speculation is wonderful in this game then what do you do with that art? Well, you're going to try to promote your, your artists so that they become famous because the more famous those artists become, you can go to another action slot, which allows you to sell the art then for a pro hopefully for a profit. Yeah. Um, there's, um, but in order to sell it, you got to take the action in order to claim contracts. You cannot sell a uh, piece of art in this if you don't have the matching contract type. That's another beautiful thing about contracts is that they also have bonus actions that you can take that are on site on those contracts that allow you to do other things. Um, you can go to the foreign market and kind of like, uh, you know, pay to place a meeple down onto these spots. And then whoever has holds majority in certain columns, there's points to be had there. So many little moving pieces and little moving parts that are so eloquently interconnected it's beautiful it the first play it was about halfway three quarters through the game when i finally had like some aha moments i'm like oh i should have been doing this then this <laughs> the order of operations in this game matters and it, it it's a learning curve to, to figure out what are those um what is the correct sequence in this particular game um, because lots of things are kind of like the random, like all those uh, bonus, the end of game bonus tiles. Yeah. They're all randomly distributed amongst the board. And how do you get those? What are the ones that I'm going to focus on? 
like I said, it, this is a very elegant, beautifully crafted game. Well, and that efficiency idea, I'm seeing that as a thread in all his stuff. Yeah, because we haven't even touched on the, the, this idea of these executive actions where there's actions that you're, you're taking in this game where you can collect these tickets, and these tickets match the color of the patrons that you can move from one gallery to another gallery to the plaza, which is in the middle of the board, because the more of these patrons you get into your... Um, your your museum, you're going to be able to trigger income. Like you're going to get uh, money, or you can uh, get some influence, and that influence is important because if I'm on an action spot and you want to take an action spot, that that same action you can kick me out. You get to perform an action, and then I get to take a kicked out action, which is kind of cool. I can pay influence to take one of those main actions again so i can actually get two turns before it actually gets back to me again i thought that was really cool because we had to come up with a very elaborate system because some of the times the kicked out actions took longer than that oh. person's main action but that was part of this the plan right is just i you need this so i gotta get in your way or oh. or i or i got kicked out when i wasn't expecting to get kicked out and i had to come up with a <laughs> oh crap what, what what do i need what what can i do here just this blank stare what uh what <laughs> yeah yeah so this is a this is a top shelf game for me all my lacerda games are on the top of my shelf mainly because that's the only place where i have room for them <laughs> well and you've got them displayed like art as you should oh man and, and i'm finding that i'm getting them to the table more and more and rightfully so they're nice i've i've kind of grown to this kind of this meteor uh gamer uh both physically i'm getting bigger <laughs> but <laughs> but uh the the these games that have big nice crunchy decisions they're not a comp uh okay wait wait how do i say this it, it's not a difficult game it's a worker placement game put your worker down take the action yeah but I'm, I'm, I've been more drawn to these complex games with all these intermoving, these intertwined actions. And, oh, yeah, Gallerist, I, I don't know where this one's sitting. This one sits pretty high out on for me. Cool. But, yeah, yeah this, this definitely, you have to, if you're a Lacerda fan, Gallerist is right up there. Oh, man, I'm so glad you have that game because now I don't have to burn my, uh, melt my credit card to <laughs> find a copy. <laughs> I, I, I just talked to Jeff today, and he's actually bringing in a few copies of The Gallerist. Oh, okay, well, that's a good pump for one of, uh, one of our sponsors, the Amazing Stories. Um, and, uh, yeah, somebody yeah, else buy it. No. Yeah, he, uh, I forget which, which game he just – oh, he's bringing in um, Escape Plan, which is oh, another right. Lacerda game. That's right. And part of that order, he managed he's going to be bringing in um, The Gallerist. He's going to be bringing in some more copies of Lisboa. Cool. He's going to be bringing copies of another game that I'm going to mention after you mention your next game. <laughs> well, and speaking of that, I'm, I'm fired up to, uh, to put a little spotlight on a good Canadian company here. Um, uh, uh, Summit the Board Game. Ooh. Um, designed by Connor McGooey. I hope I said that right, eh? Um, <laughs> Ontario boy. Um, and uh, artist Jordan Danielson, and it is Inside Up Games, eh? Eh? Uh, 
So yeah, Summit, it's basically, it's, it's, it is what it, it says it is. You're, it's a race to get to this top of the mountain. Um, it plays, uh, uh, I think it, yeah, it came out 2017. It plays uh, solo all the way to six players. Uh, it, like I said, there's a solo mode, there's a cooperative mode, and there's a competitive mode. And um, this is a very cool tile placement um, uh, race kind of mechanism. And the, 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 what I thought was really cool and unique about this is that the tiles are triangular pieces um, with uh, one long side and two equal shorter sides, right? That kind of pyramid looking, mm -hmm. right? And, um, and it, it has, on each tile, there's three different um, uh, speeds, I would say. There's like a, there's like a, and it's, and the tiles represent the 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 knots of the ropes of the safety lines that are going up to the t to the summit of the mountain and um the uh, the easy ones will have a certain amount the the more difficult icy section ones will have uh, double the amount of the, of the uh, knots on the tile and the knots on the tile represent how many movement points it takes to get through that section of tile um so as you're building from the base camp to mid camp to summit in between those those camps is just basically open grid as you build your your path right your your climber's path to uh you know each of those intervals now the cool thing that is um included on this game is a karma track you even in in competitive mode you can make certain decisions on the mountain uh, following the philosophy of mountaineers that that we're all together or we make choices to that will help each other because that's survival right and so if you make good decisions that help you get to increase your karma points and then by doing so that karma track is also a victory end of game victory point track so you have the choice to either um uh make decisions that hamper or harm other climbers and drop in karma points and in doing so drop your end of game bonus uh, um, uh, ability on that track. And uh, so it's interesting what happens is, is you'll also have karma cards that, that influence this, the way this track moves. So there's cards that you could play. It's like, oh, give a certain player um, extra oxygen give yourself extra karma. So you'll see players that will start being very, very nice, bumping up the karma in order to have this buffer zone of now I'm going to lay down these, these nasty cards so that I can, you know, slingshot myself through, through a track. Because the interesting thing about this is you could choose to start climbing on your own track, or you can choose to kind of integrate your route with somebody else's route. But if someone's blocking your way and it's your turn and you have action points to pass them, you can't jump over the person without their permission. If they say no, then they drop in karma points. If they say yes, then they increase karma points, allowing you to pass them. So there's, it, there's such a delicious give and take in regards to how you play this game. Now, that being said, like every good solo game or every good you know, cooperative game, the game is out to kill you, right? So you get these event cards that come out that, oh man, we had this one game that we we're playing uh, uh, competitively, but, but it was sort of like this 
this hidden social contract on the table going, let's be nice to, you know, when we start. Our first event card basically avalanched our mid camp out. We were already started and um, the resources that are extremely necessary on this are food and oxygen. Because once those start to, to disappear, you start to lose health points. And in doing so, you start to reduce your, the amount of movement points that you have each turn. The amount of oxygen food you carry also will hamper your movement, but as you consume, you will regain this movement. So there's this interesting little kind of give and take in regards to being I, this, this efficiency decision, right? How much oxygen do I take and allow me to have this many movement points or am I gonna bulk up and go slow but be able to consume, slowly consume all my resources and go up the mountain? Um, the, uh, in a race condition too, the, the first to mid camp will get certain amount of victory points and you know, first gets uh, the, the max and then the second will get you know, second prize of victory points, third prize of victory points that kind of uh, uh, denomination as they divide it all the time. And then of course, the first to get to the summit will get max points and then the second will get the second highest. So it's up to the top and all the way back down. So it's not just a race to the top, it's race to the top, tag and get your butt back down. And honestly, I played this probably close to 10 times, even in solo play and um, I've won only once because of a lucky squirrel suit <laughs> move that glided me all the way down. And had I not hit that, that, that uh, um, uh, uh, accessories card, I forget what the exact term is, but uh, a card that I could play that would allow me to do a certain thing and I'd have to roll the dice. And um, man, was I happy about random chance on that one because it, it was the only time that I survived going up and down the mountain. Um, this one, I am so happy I got this game. I heard so much about it. Uh, it was not necessarily that it was hyped up, but it was, it was talked about for a good reason because it is such a fun race game that, uh, <laughs> is, is a fist fight. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, to use a hockey term, it's going into the corner with Gordie Howe because you're going to get elbowed in ah. the head and, uh, yeah, you're going to suffer a concussion. Um. So yeah, I encourage everybody to either try this game out or go pick it up because I, I don't think you'll be disappointed at all. Oh, it sounds like it sounds like a really good one. That yeah. that's one that I I've played uh I've played K two quite quite a bit. Yeah. And, uh, yeah I, 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 don't, I don't know I don't know yeah yeah I don't know how how it would stack up. I gotta try I gotta play Summit so that I can compare the two. Yeah, Summit K2 the board is a very, game. Yeah, good job, Connor. That was a that was a awesome uh, awesome idea that that came out of your brain, man. On right to, on. On to you, Ryan. Yeah, I'm gonna drag. Let's let's go back to some Lacerdas. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Another one that I got a I got a good few plays in of this year was uh, Vinos. Oh yeah. And Vinos was what was my very first Lacerda, so that it still holds a very um. Uh, dear spot in my heart, uh, Ian, our, our good friend Ian, listener, longtime listener of the show, <laughs> longtime uh, listener, first time caller. Uh, he he owns he owns the the what's what's your game edition. Yeah, and and his his is actually a French edition, so the, it not, there's nothing in English. 
and he had to print off like the the English rules and the English everything so that we could interpret the game. I remember when he first got it. Anyways, um, I own the Eagle Griffin um, big box version that goes along with the gallerist um, with the ENO tool artwork um, in Vinos. And there's two modes to play it there. There's the, they call it, there's the 2010 classic edition, which kind of takes that old what's your games edition rule set and kind of just cleans it up a little bit keeps everything the the heart of the game very much the same and then there's the 2016 vintage edition which completely the 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 game the same game at its heart but it's played very differently they removed some aspects they cleaned up some aspects they made it a little bit more if you want to say quote unquote streamlined for a lacerda game mm-hmm. but I have never played the 2016 version. We always play the 2010 classic edition just because that one has, I feel it's so good as it is. Um, I'm kind of scared. I I should try the 2016 edition at some point just because um, I need to compare the two, but I've always just ever played the 2010 edition. So in Vinos, you're making wine. Uh, I we own a couple good wine making games. Um, I have no idea which one I actually like better, this one or Viticulture. Viticulture is a fantastic worker placement game. Uh, this one's also a kind of a worker placement game, kind of like the Gallerist, but there's none of this kicked out action business. Um, there's only nine actions that you could possibly take in the in in a game, and they're all kind of this little three by three grid in the middle of the board. And the kind of idea is that you can always, um, for free, take a adjacent action, um, either orthogonally or diagonally. Mm-hmm. Um, that action would cost you if there is already another player at that location. Um, it'll cost you the um, one of the, I think it's like $1,000, which is like one of the currencies. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's this, uh, the, if the time tracker, the, there's a time tracker that kind of goes along, keeps track of the rounds. If the time tracker is on your location, you have to also pay another thousand dollars. So oh. if there's a, so if there's a person there and the time tracker, you better really want to take that action because money in the 2010 edition, from what I understand, it's tight. Money is super tight in this game. Uh, there's a whole bunch of different actions that you can be taking. Um, what you really want to try to do is you want to take the actions early on to grow your vineyard, um, kind of get a little bit of a, a wine engine going because every year you're going to produce some wine and it's going to, and the wine that you already have is going to age. And of course, in a good wine game, um, the, the older your wine is, the more age that it gets, the better the quality, the better it's going to do for you and you'll be able to convert it into points. In this one, though, there's a few things you can do with that wine. Um, you can turn it into money. If you're running low on money, there's an action spot where you can just turn it into money. Cool. There is an action spot where you can just export it and turn it into points. And then the f- last thing that you can do with wine tokens is that there's kind of this little mini game every now and then. It happens three times in the game. And there's a little mini game called the wine fair. And you can enter a wine or... I, I think you're kind of almost forced to when the wine fair occurs, you're kind of forced to, you have to put a wine in because there's a 
whole schwack load of things that is going to happen when you enter a wine into the wine fair. First, you're going to see what kind of wine did you create because there's some experts that are kind of, you know, judging the wines. And based off of the weather, there's a weather tile every year. Kind of tells you what these wine experts are kind of looking. They're looking for oh, cool. a wine from this certain region. They're looking for a color of wine or they're looking for the age of the wine. Um, and then if you meet any of those requirements, they have some tracks that you can kind of like, you know, place your little barrels. You have these little barrels that kind of like stand for McMeeples. They can give you some sort of special bonuses, some special abilities or some end of game scoring. And also um, you can claim these um, specialist tiles, which help you own the wine fair because they're helping you with your wines. And there's these tracks of all the different qualities of, of the wine. And if you're doing the best, if you submitted the best wines, you kind of go up on this little wine fair track. And if you're the first place, second place, third place, you're going to get points wow, right on. for that. It, it, it's a very interesting little mini game. Um, I realized in my last play of it, I went heavy into the wine, uh, the wine fair. I lost, but I didn't lose by much. <laughs> I didn't lose by much. I made a couple really in a deserted game. Like you mentioned before in the galleries, if you make like a slight error, um, scores are tight and you will lose out. And this happened to me. I misspent my money early on in the game. And I wasn't able to take the action that I wanted to take in my very last turn. If I was able to take that action, I think I, I think I we've calculated I was gonna win by like two points. Cool. That I ended up losing by five. <laughs> Vinos, very, very good. Again, it's that Lacerda style. Everything is so eloquently interconnected. Awesome. Gotta we gotta produce the wine, you gotta age the wine. Um, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to sell it off for points? Are you going to get, do you need some money right now to take some actions? Are you going to submit it to the wine fair so that you can get some of that bonus stuff? Oh, this one's so good. And again, after playing like the gallerist and other Lacerda, like I have no idea, Lisboa, I don't know which one, how to rank these. <laughs> They're all on the top shelf. Oh, Let's just, you know what, we'll have to keep playing them in order to discern that ranking. I know. Well, we, um, we've got, we, we've, we're so experienced with, I think, all of them. I think I proposed this before. I think we need a Lesser Day. Ooh, nice pun. Yeah, the Lesser Day where you just, we're just going to pick, pick some of the ones and we're just going to just spend the day playing them. So good. And our brains are going to be mush afterwards. <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna continue on this wine theme, and uh, and I'm gonna I'm so happy to talk about this game finally Viticulture. You mentioned it, um, mm. and 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 Ian in the same conversation um, we sat down this summer and uh, played a game of Viticulture Essential Edition uh, uh, Tuscany as well, right with the area with control the Tuscany. Map. Oh, and we had uh, the buildings um, with, that we played with as well. I think, I think we incorporated all the modules except for those two uh, specialty workers. Yes. Yeah, we didn't play with the specialty workers. Yeah. Um, but, uh, oh, yeah. So just to quickly get the details on this one, this is uh, uh, Viticulture Essential Edition with the Tuscany expansion. 
um, designed by Jamie Stegmeyer and Alan Stone of Stonemeyer Games. Um, oh. Love me, my Stonemeyer. I'm a Stonemeyer fanboy. Tapestries in the mail. <laughs> I just, I just kind of ha- had a bit of a, bit of a head rush there. <laughs> Yay! Um, uh, but okay, so viticulture worker placement um, with the board or the setup that we had. There's four seasons that we go through. Mm-hmm. And um, thematically connected, the you know first season you're working on getting you know your vineyard up and going, and then second season that's when there's this the situational uh, you know the plantings and the summer workers, and then we go into the harvest, and then we go into the last season with this with the you know winter workers and selling the wine, and um, the I've I've played this game so much, and I just adore this game that um it's by far one of my again i don't want to don't want to say my one of my favorite worker placements because it's dominant species um (laughs) but it is as far as a a game that appeals to uh an entirety right i mean this we played how many were we were we five Uh, there's four of us no we played four player yeah um at at every count, including solo, all the way up to max, um, I've had great experiences with this game, even when I lose. And um, this one, uh, the the board or the game system that we used, there was that uh, game option that I used, and I'll and I'll and I'll kind of divulge my little my little um, uh, experiment. But there's an option where you can get. Uh, um, wine in your crusher pads immediately without having to grow anything in your fields. Um, so when we were doing our worker placements in regards to getting our season set up and getting the vines and, and planting, I constantly got um, hedged out of all the ability to efficiently use my turn to get uh, um, uh, uh, vines on the field. So I just kind of went, you know what, this will be the first game where I rely solely on getting and that what did i call it the wine store mush because i yeah, would just the, basically the costco wine yeah the costco wine right i would basically just take the 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 action of getting um wine in my crusher pads and from there i started to age them and then transfer them and turn them into wine and not once in the whole game did i grow anything on my fields and i and- lost by one point yeah, Ian edged you out by one point, and it it was I it was so it was so dramatic because he he basically got out of his chair. He played before me, and it was my turn. And he bounced out of his chair and was like pacing, going, "I hate the stress because I've I was sitting there trying to just work every point out of my turn as I could, and uh, yeah, it was it was, I'm and right there it showed me that this game just demonstrated to me that hey there's another potential way that you can play this game that that at least for me i had never thought of before and the moment oh. that a game shows me that hey open door number you know a variable x that you never considered before and man did that ever shine a different light on that game for me and and i don't want to say that you were upset with yourself that game but you you were upset with yourself that game well jeff jeff, jeff and i were even talking about we were operating the whole game one complete turn behind you and Ian. The <laughs> entire game. You guys were skyrocketing. We always just felt 
we we should have done our very first turn differently and oh. we could and we just couldn't we couldn't catch up we were always if it was exactly i looked at it exactly it was one turn behind you guys every single time and that's a perfect thing because that uh, the turn order initiative track is a little different on the new board or this expanded board because in each of the four seasons you get a different each initiative slot gets a different bonus so there were mm -hmm. times where i was sitting back going no one's i mean i'll go later in the round because i don't have to compete to go plant I'm, i'll i'll go for my costco mush i'll take the extra bonus point and just nickel and dime my way and Man, you guys were starting to be upset with me. It's like, oh yeah, uh, leave the leave the like pocket change for Norm there. <laughs> oh, I know, I I know, I was just frustrated, but it was it was awesome because it was always, uh, Ian, always always went that next step above me, so that he was oh I never got first player the entire game. <laughs> I think a lot of entertainment was just watching watching the competition just on the initiative track because then you knew what was going to happen was there goes the meeple and there goes ryan going oh man that's what i wanted to do with the bonus and oh yeah it was <laughs> I, that that game rightfully sits on my top top shelf i i that stonemeyer wonderful game absolutely wonderful and if no if you if if juan hasn't played that game you need to play that game and and I apologize because you're going to turn around and you're going to want to purchase that game. So yeah. that's Viticulture, uh, Central Editions, Tuscany expansion. Yeah, if you're going to go and buy Viticulture, may as well just pick up Tuscany while you're at it. I get the bells and whistles because, like you like you had mentioned, we played with we turned everything on except for those two specialty workers, which yeah. is, I mean, you know. That was a lot to that was a lot to process, but it was so much fun. It was so good. All right. Well, well, well let's 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 stop. Let's hop from one Stonemeyer game to another Stonemeyer game. I just like the um, the the latest in the hotness that has come from Stonemeyer games. Um, the Kenner Spiel de Jarez oh, yeah. winner. We're talking about wingspan designed by Elizabeth Hargrave. And the mass of the great team of artists, I mm -hmm. my page just closed on me, so Beth I Sobel. don't have Beth Sobel is Beth Sobel's on on yeah. there. There's a couple. There's a I think there's like th two or three other ladies. The, this game got some nice high props of the all female um, design and art squad, rightfully oh. so. This thing Smithsonian looks, um, level art. I, it's just oh, it's this gorgeous. is amazing. The production level of this game is through the roof. Let's talk about the gameplay of Wingspan at its heart. It's a card-based um, game where you're going to be laying cards down in a tableau and activating those cards. So what you're going to try to do is early on, you don't have very many cards and very many actions, but later on, you're going to be chaining these actions together. Um, from the publisher's website here, they say, kind of like if you like that terraforming mars combo building and you kind of like the 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 and, and gizmos the engine, if, you, yeah. if you like that engine building of gizmos you're gonna like um wingspan and i can see that in it after i've played it quite a few times i know i was kind of when i originally talked to you about it i was kind of down like yeah i had a lot of high expectations for wingspan and after all it ended up being a very simplistic 
game like i obviously i've been talking about vitell lacerda yeah these heavy (laughs) meaty games and now i'm talking about wingspan i'm appreciating wingspan way more than i was in my initial plays so what you're doing is you're playing down these bird cards and each bird card has a cost it it, it'll eat some sort of it eats certain type of a food and as long as you have that food in your in your um, resource pool you can play down these cards and they're going to do a whole schwack load of different things there's three tiers there's the there's the forest there's the plains and then there's like the wetlands where you can play these birds into and every, every all three of those categories do something different like in the forest that's the that's the resource gathering line if you're playing birds in there they're going to try to chain together to get you resources um in the plains in the middle row um these are where you're going to be generating eggs and uh birds are going to be laying eggs and eggs is going to be a certain resource for playing certain cards down the later down the lines. And then in the wetlands, that's where you get your, um, that's where you can generate more cards into your hand. And so when you play down a card, oh, sorry, that's just an action. You can play down a card. Yeah. And what you could do is you can activate a row. And so what you do is you take your little marker, you take one of your little markers, you place it to the farthest right that you can go where there's a bird card and uh, you do what that action does. And then you place your cube, then you move down the line to the left. And if the card has an activate ability, you activate the card, get some more resources, get some cards, um, lay some eggs. They're going to do a whole bunch of different things. And what you're trying to do is you're just trying to chain these actions together so that you're more and more efficient because later on, at the end of every round, you have to give up one of your action markers to place on the score track. Every There's four rounds in the game, and every round has a kind of like a goal. Mm-hmm. If you meet that goal, you get some points. Um, there's two different ways to do it. You can do it the friendly way where everybody gets some points, or you can do it the competitive way where it's kind of like a first, second, third um, type of deal to it. So every round, you have to give up your your um these action cubes that you're play, taking your turn. So you start the game with eight and eventually in the last round, you're only going to have five. So the first round you have lots okay. of actions. Last round you have not very many actions, but of course in that very last round, you should just be chaining things together. You're not really laying down any more cards at that point. You might play one card that round, but they're all just going to be used to just chain reaction things together yeah. and try to score points. So you score points for your birds. Every bird card has a point value on it. Um, you're going to score points if their bird cards have eggs on them. Every egg that you have on your tableau is a point. There's certain actions where you can tuck cards underneath, like the birds eat some eat the other birds, and then they get a, if every one of those cards gets you points. It's a really cool engine building type game. This would be the game. I think I mentioned it before uh, to you. This is I. This is a game that I appreciate what it's going to do for the hobby. Mm-hmm. it's a great entry level and not a simplistic like i i make it sound like it's very um but there's some decisions to be made and it there's a nice little depth but it's not too deep this is this is bordering on that light to medium category and it's going to introduce a lot of people to hobby gaming which i'm really excited for this is a game that if you want to teach somebody engine building i would pull out wingspan well, and what I've noticed too with a lot of people talking about it is that 
when they talk about this game, it's this, they just have such joy. They just enjoyed it so much that it, it, they, it, it's just, you know, like a, like a wonderful meal. Yeah. And I, and, I, and I have to brag a little bit. I have not lost a game of Wingspan yet. <laughs> Knock on wood. Uh, I've, played a, I've played a grand total of seven times already, and I've won every single game. And I've done a di- almost a different strategy every game, too, based off of the cards that are dealt to me. I'm going to footnote the idea of karma. <laughs> I'm going to play with you and I'm going to absolutely do horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I usually, uh, I usually, uh, um, yeah, I luck out with stuff like that. So yeah, that's one that I want to play. Absolutely. Wingspan. And, uh, uh, is that like the first Stonemeyer game that's not designed by, um, Jamie or Jamie, Alan yeah. Stone? Um, no, they, they, they have, um, uh, between two cities. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay. Between two cities is not designed by Jamie Stegmaier. That's a, a this this is such a great game for their catalog of games. Absolutely. Oh, he did he did fantastic picking that up. And there's more copy. Like if you don't have a copy of Wingspan, don't go paying the scalper prices. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming into stock very shortly again here. Yeah, they're smart. He's smart. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so. Um, I'm going to move into, uh, we're going to, I mean, yeah, flight, but this is flight in space because we're going <laughs> to talk about Galaxy Trucker by Vlada Shvatil, uh, published by Czech Games Edition. And this game is the one that I traded with you. So I finally, I mean, courtesy of you because you did the teach, but finally got this game on the table and oh my, is this so much fun. This game Whoa. is insanity. Um, it works in two phases. First phase is kind of tile selection, placement, build your ship, respecting certain building conditions. But it's on a timer. And oh my, if and you it's in have, real time, it's real time. And if you have some, oh, how shall I say, some Richard types that are in your group and want to just advance the timer because they're chaotic and they like seeing you stress out and and like have panic attacks. Um, (laughs) That this game, oh, it puts puts some anxiety into that first building mode because um, I think there's three phases. And and as you start, you have a smaller ship. Second, Second run, you have a bigger ship. Third run, you have a larger ship. And, and it's kind of, um, like I said, the first phase is to build that ship, taking tiles, engines, guns, cargo space, uh, crew space, uh, deflector rays, batteries, just all this synergy that's going to make your ship uh, the, the most efficient vessel with the consideration that as you're building this, you have these cards, a selection of cards that are um, a journey events, I guess. And anywhere from asteroids to slave ships to uh, um, pirates uh, to open space. And I, once again, it's, I, I would think this is a race game in, in, in all, in all um, uh, perspective of it. Yeah, because um, you, bon- you get bonus points for finishing yeah. fir- in first place. So with that in mind, you have to make decisions in regards to how, if, if I look through that events, if I have a peek at that events deck and I see some asteroids coming in and I see some pirates um, and not that many resources, then that'll change my, my design plans uh, of how I'm going to build that ship. But understanding that these tile picks 
it's not just rifling through like the bargain bin at, at Walmart looking for something. Uh, there's a specific protocol. You reach in, you grab a tile, and the moment it crosses the plane of your, or the, the threshold of your board, you flip it over and, and you, can't, um, you, you can't go for another tile. You gotta put it back face up on the pile so that that information is now revealed to everybody and it's an option for everybody. So sometimes you might not want to put that back, but you're not ready to build it yet. So there's a little, there's a little kind of waiting area that you could put those tiles in, but oh boy, you don't use them. They, they <laughs> are negative penalties. So once you get this build done, then as I said, referring back to that, that pilot event cards, then I believe you shuffle the cards up and then one at a time, you deal with the events that happen. And as much as that timer makes that first part, like an, uh, 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 like an, uh, an anxiety session for me, the second part is just as crazy because now you're kind of sitting back going, I kind of have no control of what happens to like, there, I remember some games that asteroids came in and I didn't have enough batteries <laughs> to deflect something and all of a sudden, you roll the dice and oh this this little asteroid made its way just into that sweet spot where it goes ping and half my ship comes off and just <laughs> floats away it's like no um so yeah that the that that idea of first phase build your ship considering all that i said second phase run that you know run the gauntlet and see who comes in first and then you collect your points and rinse and repeat three times and then whoever has i believe the most the most money at the end yeah uh, wins the game and there's certain bonus conditions uh in regards to uh that kind of little economy that's working with the resources there's some tiers of resources that you know uh you the easy the low-hanging fruit obviously is the cheapest and the and the um the red cubes i forget the what what the radioactive the red radioactive ones that require a specific containment area right but if you can arrange for it they're a sweet price so there's a lot of really cool decisions to be made in this game um and man once again like i said you can you can have the perfect ship but all of a sudden that dice roll happens and i mean i hate that whole random you know roll the dice and something happens but in this case this is so much fun because um, the, the, the laughter that I get with my, with my crippled ship with one firing engine crawling across the finish line. And it's like, you know, thematically speaking, I see the guy pulling the ship in and there's like, like one compartment, one wing and one cube. Here you go. Give me my money, please. Thank you very much. And then the guy collapses, uh, uh on the, on the deck kind of thing. Um, that the game is is such a roller coaster of of emotional uh, uh, um, you know joy and stress at the same time that it uh, I think we played it uh, in a, in two three days we played it two three times and each time it was a different game it was I mean you could play this four five six times and still not be good at it <laughs> oh yeah that because that order of events. The order, the order in which those events happen to you is kind of, 
is kind of is kind of neat. And plus, there's the there's always the deck of cards of the events that you don't know what's coming. Oh yeah, yeah. The that, that's the that's the fun that's the fun part because when the card gets flipped, around, I didn't see that. Oh right, that's there's that the other. one that yeah, that's the one that Vlada thought would be nice to hide from me, and <laughs> get kicked in the teeth by it. Um, yeah, no, this game uh, is is rightfully uh, on my shelf, and I doubt we'll ever. Yeah, this this is such an amusing game. It um, it's it's, I don't know. It's not complex, but it it requires your brain to operate at a frenzied state for so long in that build stage that when you sit back and ha- and 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 do that that ship run or the you know the trucker run, that it's kind of like everything's out of my control now. Let's just run the program. Let's see what happens. <laughs> yeah. So that's yeah, Galaxy because, Trucker. Yeah, yeah that, and that I, came I, out 2007. And that's oh, what impressed yeah. me the most is, is this isn't showing its age at all. No. And like, like, like we said, I traded you this game. <laughs> and, then, <Thank> you. <laughs> and, and then I had friends that requested it and I didn't have it. So I actually went and got it again. I traded, I traded something else and I traded for it again. So we have two copies in the group now just yeah. because I missed my coffee. My friends missed this coffee. Oh, and so I went and got it again. And I, yeah, it's, yeah, this is definitely a game that everybody should give it a try. Definitely. Um, so galaxy trucker. Yay. And by the way, thanks for the trade. Perfect. What do you got? Okay. Next one. We ended up playing a few of the exit the game. Series and entries. Um, one I will specifically talk about. Um, if you don't know what Exit the Game is, this is uh, the design team of Marcus and Inca Brand, the brands, and uh, put on by um, Thames and Cos- Cosmos Games. This uh, one that I'm going to talk about is called The Catacombs of Horror. This is the latest one that has come to North America. And this one I like to talk about because this is a one of their these are their escape room in a boxes. Yeah. Where the the components are completely used. Um, you're gonna destroy and cut up and fold and write on and and things. So it's a consumable game. Uh, it's not replayable afterwards. And I don't know why you'd want to because you've solved the puzzles already. Um, the one that I'm gonna talk about, the Catacombs of Horror, was their first um, dabble into. It's a bigger box which comes with two scenarios in the same box that tells a bigger story. I thought that was really kind of neat. So the way they sold it is that it's kind of, it's two experiences in one. And it really kind of neat because there's a, two parts to the story. There's the first half, and then you can get a score after the first half. And then it tells you, or it, at, at the game will ask you after that first half, um, do you want to continue now? Do you want to save your progress for later? We decided we got together with a group of friends and we decided, we decided we did the whole scenario in one, in one night. We did the whole sitting and from, st- from start to finish, we finished the, the puzzles in about, oh, it took us two and a half hours. Oh, wow. Now, the Catacombs of Horror is rated a four and a half out of five on their difficulty scale. It's the most difficult one that they've rated. And rightfully so, it kicked our butts. <laughs> I'll I'll let I'm not going to any spoilers because this is a, this is an escape room, so you're going to be solving a whole series of puzzles. 
going to be flipping through all the materials. You're going to be unlocking things and you're going to be gaining um, information. We found the first half actually fairly simple. Okay. Um, it, it was fairly straightforward. It was, no, it was nothing out of the blue that we hadn't seen in other, the other exit games. The puzzles were good. The puzzles were clever. They didn't make us feel dumb. The second half of the game, <laughs> I felt dumb. Uh, we, the first time ever, ever in an exit game, we actually had to use them. The, they, they have these hint cards. Yeah. We, we use hint cards. And the whole system is, too, is if you read a hint card and you already know the information, it's not going to penalize you. Mm -hmm. This was the first time we're on a puzzle we actually had to use all of the hint cards to tell us what the solution was. <laughs> Hold my hand, please. <laughs> because there was this one puzzle. We were never going to get this. When we found out the solution, we're like, okay, I guess so. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah. Someone open a window and throw a chair out. Yeah. I'm just going to, my, my, my only spoiler is we weren't dexterous enough. <laughs> to construct this puzzle. Oh, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's pushing the edge of spoilers. Yeah, so uh, anyways, we really like this one. This one told a really neat story over the course of the, the both of the scenarios. The puzzles were very nice, very neat, minus that one puzzle that made me feel absolutely <laughs> just dumb. All right. <laughs> And, uh, and, and I'm the kind of, you know, I'm the kind of guy, if I find, if I get to a puzzle or a problem and I can't solve, it, it's going to bug me. This no. one, bug this one <laughs> bugged me. And I was like, okay, afterwards, after we looked at it, we looked at the answer, like, sure. Afterwards, after the game, um, we sat down and we're like, okay, let's try to figure out how do they come up with this solution? And then we finally did. And we're like, Oh, we were never going to get there in a million years <laughs> if we didn't have those hints. Yeah. Oh, really? Cool. So, but anyways, we, but we did, but we did actually when we finally tallied up a score, we got a six out of ten. And when I posted it on Twitter, Thames and Cosmos actually came out and said, "Hey, that's actually a really good score for this scenario." So I felt better about ourselves. Bell curve. Yeah. So. Gotta love the bell curve. Cool. Well, um. I'm going to, I, th I think we'll, because uh, uh, I started, yeah, we'll do one more each. And not that I'm going to cheat, but these are two little filler games that I'm going to kind of quickly talk about side by that's side. Not, that's not bad. Um, the first one, and speaking of one, is just one. Um, and uh, I'm just going to quickly uh, access this. Uh, it came out in 2018. Uh, designed by Ludovic Rowdy and Bruno uh, Soter. Um, I think we heard those names before because those are the designers of Seventh Continent, aren't they, Ryan? Uh, is it? I believe so. Um, what? Yeah, uh, that will have to, when we finish this, I'll go confirm that. But I think I think that I'm, that's a familiarity. You look that up on your side. I'm 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 going. I'm doing. And, it right um, now. You talk. So and I'll... I'll I'll keep talking. You do some research. Um, uh, published by uh, Repos uh, Production. Um, this is a very um, clever. What's such a clever game? 
it plays three to seven players. So, I mean, it's classified as a party game, and it is the best. I believe it has won awards and so on and so forth. But the idea of the game is it's a cooperative thing, and um, as you're playing together, each person's going to have a little whiteboard easel and, and a, a, a dry erase marker. And if it's my turn, I'll take a card, but I won't look at it, and I'll put it on my easel so that everybody can see the five word options and then I say number two so everyone will look at number two and their objective is to um, secretly on their little whiteboards write down a word that'll one word that'll give me a hint as to to help me guess what the word is that I've selected on my card now here's the cool unique spin on this is that let's say we're playing seven and uh, so, which means that six of us are writing this word down. After we write these words down, we all compare them to each other. And if there are any matches, we erase that word. So mm. right away, there's that love, that sub level of meta going, okay, well, if the word is, if the word is, uh, you know, bacon, well, am I, you know, sizzle or like if, uh, uh, if I use an easy clue, Someone else is going to use an easy clue that eliminate that clue, which will make it harder for my for my my team player, our team member. And so you start to look at people and go, "What word are you going to put down?" And maybe I should meta play what I think you're going to write down and write down a word that will that will boost that idea. Holy moly! This this game I think is the only cooperative game that. On on either side, either guessing it or writing it, you feel clever. Nice, right? It's and even and of course, even when your word gets eliminated, right? Say, like, oh, I matched you. We're so clever, right? We're so smart. Thought <laughs> of it, right? Uh, that's so much joy in this party game. But of course, it, it leaves the person kind of it eliminates options for them. So instead of six words that they have, now it's reduced down to you know four or what whatever the the match was, right? Um, how the how you win at this game is you take uh, I believe it's 13 cards and you try to um, there's a kind of cool mechanism where um, once the words come out the, the guesser can look at this and just say pass I'm not gonna guess it because if I'm wrong then we remove we reduce our ability to get a perfect score so if you pass you you're penalized but you're not penalized um, it's so severely that that you, like I said, you eliminate your opportunity to, to be, have a very efficient score. Um, this, yeah, this game is so much fun. I, I, you could call it a filler. You could, it, it is what it is and, and it brings joy to everybody because like I said, you write down a word and you, you, you have this, this nice <laughs> happy rush of, I'm such a clever child. <laughs> So if you've, if you've not played it, I, I'm going to definitely bring it to school because this will be one of those games where, where uh, this will be a perfect lunchtime game for the kids. Oh, beautiful. And, yeah. And, and as you were describing, when you gave the example of bacon, I came up with the most Canadian answer ever. <laughs> I would have wrote down Kevin. <laughs> and there's six degrees of separation to that answer, too. Um, so, so piggybacked on this is another, um, I, I don't know if you call it a party game, but another fun filler kind of game called Cockroach Poker came out in 2004, designed by 
um, Jacques Zemet, I think, and uh, it's published by uh, Mark Toy Competo, if I'm pronouncing it properly. Um, and it's, hands, hands down, greatest meta game ever. Oh, it's such a straightforward game. It's bluffing. There are eight suits of insects. Within those eight suits, there are eight cards. Every um, how many players there are, you deal the whole the whole deck out. Everyone's got a hand of cards on your turn, and it's a strict it's a strictly bluffing game. And oh man, the behavioral psychology that comes out of that game is hysterical. I am, I cry laughing every time I play this game um, because what you do on your turn, you basically pick a card, and you can see how many of each you have. So I mean, if you're if you're the Excel spreadsheet kind of person, you could start working the odds and going, okay, odds are I have this many of eight and there's so many other players. Let's, it's, it's in my best interest to start with this card. For me, I, like I said before, I'm the joker. I, I'm the guy that has no plan. I pull levers and push buttons and then giggle, right? So you pick a card, you slap it face down on the, on the table and you slide it to anybody you want. And now it's, it's like, you know, head to head. You say, it's a fly. You could be telling the truth. You could be lying. What happens are one of two things. The person who you're looking at, who you're challenging, will either just accept the fact and, and agree, pick up the card, look at it, and then move it on. Now they're, And now you're out of the loop, right? Um, they're trying to move this card onto the next person. They can continue with the truth or non-truth that you've stated it's a fly or they can look at it and go it's a stink bug and move it to the next person now that one option is accept it and move the card if you come down to the ability where you can't right it's the last person um the the second choice is to call the person's bluff you either look at them and say yes it is or no it isn't and you turn over the card and you reveal the truth. If, the, if, I, if I have a card and I slide it over to you and I say, it's a spider and, you, and, it's, and it's actually a fly and you look at me and go, no, it's not a spider, flip it over. I now have to put that card in my tableau because I got caught bluffing. The thing about I, what I love about this game, it's not about who wins, it's who loses first. Right. And how you lose is you have a set of four of any of those eight um, uh, insects in front of you. And that's the game. And holy moly, there's some there's some crazy dogpiling that happens because the moment that you have two of a set, well, you better start getting nervous because people are going to start trying to like get that third card. And if you get that third card in your set, you know for a fact that everyone's coming at you with truth or lie and man the the stress goes up the giggling goes up um what i love the most and i i use this in my psychology class when we talk about behavioral psychology and mannerisms and body language and 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 uh, non-verbal communication is that whole behaviorism i'm gonna i'm only gonna see and uh, and assess what i can observe well, there's times where even with my cousins uh, that, you, that you've played with where Bernard will have a card and he'll look at me and go, it's a stink bug. His voice <laughs> will drop down into like low 70s singer register and, and his behavior will change that. We'll just start laughing. And it's like, dude, you suck at lying. <laughs> 
right? So this game, as far as it, it's it's a that's all it is. It's a bluffing game. But the like you said, the meta that goes on in this game um, just makes me cry laughing every time. And I I think you witnessed a whole bunch of students playing this game in my classroom a couple of times. Oh, this was this was fantastic. We 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 played this one. Comes out constantly when we have uh, a a our larger group. Like if we have a couple couples over at, at our house and we're like at six players or something like that, mm, cockroach poker's coming out every time. Oh, it it appeals to. I mean, it appeals to so many levels of gamers that that it is such it is such a definitely. I mean, it, it's it's a deck of cards. That's it. But you know what? It's top shelf for me because. Uh, it's a, like you said, it's a go-to game all the time. It is so entertaining. Um, I, I think we've played, we've played few games back to back on this game. Now here, here's the one thing that makes me very nervous. My 10 year old daughter likes this game <laughs> because as she puts it, dad, I got to get better at lying. And I'm thinking, Oh no, no, you don't not to your daddy. Not no. To <laughs> oh i'm so and just so everybody out there can, can understand my my perspective here my daughter is the first girl born in my family in six generations so i am a guy with zero resources <laughs> <laughs> and i and i've got two boys so yeah, yeah so no cockroach poker this is uh definitely definitely um uh amusing and uh a worthwhile game to play and we're gonna hand it off to you to finish off our lineup oh my gosh i have no idea what to talk about well we can as, as the last one more. well no I'll, I'll finish off one but i was just like like i could be talking about root i could talk about pipeline i could talk about genties i could talk about edge of darkness i could talk about <laughs> pandemic legacy you season two which we're almost done i could talk how about, about we finish this with how we started the summer Star Wars Rebellion. That's where. Do you know what? <laughs> I thought that's the, my one tab I have open. There you go. You, I have it open. I'll, that was, and as we said prior, that uh, that you came over in the mornings. I think three days in a row we played this game. And then I played it twice with Ian as well. I got this oh. played five times. All right, man. This, this this summer. Did you play the expansion with Ian as well? Yeah, we played every single okay. play I played. We played with the expansion of um, the the Rise of the Empire. And here's the handoff: Star Wars Rebellion. Sure, I won't go into great detail. We've already um, covered this on the podcast before, yeah. so we have a great detail. Star Wars Rebellion. It's been a fantastic. It's a Corey Knizia. Yeah. Game published in 2016 by Fantasy Flight Games. This is Star Wars in a box. Oh, it, yeah, it, yeah. Is, it's got, it creates such dramatic moments. It, the, and the, the, the tension, the, the, the cat and mouse game that occurs um, is just, just fantastic. That whoever's playing the rebel, you're trying to just don't engage the empire. <laughs> you, you, just, just trying to sneak around, fulfill sabotage. your missions, sabotage things sneak around be very sneaky and just kind of nickel and dime your points so that you push your little tracker up a little bit empire you're trying to produce units you're trying to overrun the galaxy you're trying to snuff out those rebel scum find that all, base 
find yeah. the base. It it is so good. Some of the moments that we that we created, ridiculous. Um, the, awesome. the expansion. What do you think about that cinematic? Uh, um... Yeah, I was good. The, the the cinematic combat is kind of an interesting bit where now you have a hand of cards. Yeah. And if you it, it cards that match, if you have a unit in play, um, you can play that card for some sort of like real big buff, big bonus that, hey, I have a Star Destroyer. I can play the Star Destroyer card and I can just like, you know, deal tons of damage. But, but now I've lost that card until I've used up all of the cards. Yeah, until you recycle them. It's it's pretty it's pretty neat. Also, the introduction of the new units that have the green dice. Mm. The green dice, which are awesome, because they have two direct hits. Yeah. But that's but that's it. They're, all the other four sides are blanks. It's a gamble, but when they pay off, so you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Don't ever tell me the odds. Yeah. The uh, the that that game just compelled me. Every time we played it, it compelled me to play it more. Oh, man. Han Solo destroyed a Death Star. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember that. Well, and that's the thing. I that... blew The Death Star blew up Endor. Yo, that's the thing I love about that game is the narrative. Like, I'll always remember that. The narrative that is developed within, you know, the system. that they... Now, again, Fantasy Flight, a lot of rules. It's finicky. But the moment that we got all of those rules in our head and we were able to just freely play, man, that was so much fun. Yeah, because one of the later plays was with Ian. And both him and I were like, we just sat down. We both did not need a rule refresher. We just both went straight in. The game still took us three and a half hours because we were (laughs) so engaged and trying to. And he won as the Rebels. He oh. nickel and dimed it and hid perfectly and misdirected me beautifully. And, and for anyone who's not, doesn't know, as the rounds go, the rounds progress towards uh, one end of the track. And as that's progressing towards one end of the track, the rebel counter is trying to quickly meet it. And the moment that they meet together is when the rebels win, right? If I got this right? Yeah. Yes. So he, he got them to, oh, wonderful. Yeah. I... There was a there was there was a huge moment where one of my generals in as as the Empire got locked into his system, was not able to move because once he's in the system, you can't move him out of a system hmm. that already had contained that's already been activated. I could not get to his base. <laughs> and it th- that that was it because he had little he had like no defense left. He had like two little rebel units left on that base. I was going to, I was going to come in and wipe it, but then he played this. I forget what the scenario was, but he was able to play it and I couldn't counteract it. I didn't, or I was unsuccessful in counteracting his uh, mission and it locked the system. I couldn't move out of it. And I was like, no, that cost me the game. Oh, it, it, it was so. It was so. The it, it was it was just ridiculous. It was like Princess Leia's political power, like went right through the the, the emperor. Yeah, like like yeah, well, the, and... the, the 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 emperor couldn't persuade, couldn't use his dark side of his force against Princess Leia to get me in the. Oh, it was epic. And it's and it's not a battle game. I mean, you described it perfectly. It's a cat and mouse game, and 
so, and sometimes most wins, right? And yeah, because the in the combat, well, when the combat does occur, it's it, it's 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 fun. It's tense. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and I like the idea where the 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 old version of the of the cards that you would play now relate to your ability to re-roll dice. Mm-hmm. So I like how when the expansion came out, they didn't completely abandon some of the rule sets because of, of changes to, the, to the, the, the new expansion. They basically said, okay, well, those values are going to be there. Let's reappropriate those values and have them become this. And I thought that was a good use of you know, not abandoning the graphic art and, and layout of what was already there as for the, the character values. So that, I think that oh. was a, a smart design choice oh, yeah and yeah beautiful production i love this game oh and um, it fills the table it's oh it's such a fun game to play <laughs> oh i know every like you said every single moment we can t- tell stories well, about, about, about our experiences and that that that's what a game should be about it should be yeah. an experience that you should be way able to walk walk away from it tell stories to friends get them hyped up nice oh, star wars rebellion Cool. Yeah, we kicked off. We kicked off the summer in a good way on that one. Well, and that's a perfect way to round out this episode because uh, this this will be a this will be a hefty episode. But man, did we got through we got through twelve plus games, man. That was awesome. Yeah, we, we have, yeah, and like I said, there's so many more that oh. we played. Yeah, I'm so. looking at my list, and there's so much more that I could talk about, but. Maybe we'll leave well, that for another time for a, yeah, for a deep, deep No, yeah, we got, we, got, we got a bunch of content for the deep dives. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, well, thank you very much, everybody, for, uh, for you know, if you got to this point, you need to have a nap. <laughs> so, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, I'm your host, Norm. I've been Ryan. And we will catch you later. We are Bridge City Board Gamers, and you can find us on YouTube. You can follow us on Twitter at BC Board Gamers. Our Facebook page is Saskatoon Tabletop Games Community. And on Board Game Geek, guild number 3039.